Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. So we continue our sermon series, Faith That Works, and this week we find James using uh, an example that he has used previously in his letter, because our passage this morning forces us into asking of ourselves this tough, tough question. When was the last time we wish we hadn't said something that we did? In the, the throes of an argument, maybe, something has maybe come out of our mouths that we wish it hadn't, where we've maybe gathered with friends and the conversation has started to descend into what we would consider to be gossip, maybe shared in that gossiping session, where we maybe shared a secret with someone that we shouldn't have, that we'd let slip, something that someone had confided in us. I know that I can think of at least two this week for me, at least two, I'm maybe being kind to myself, but at least two. But equally, we might start to reflect on when was the last time or what was the most hurtful thing that anyone has ever done to us? And we may well get to that conclusion that it was when someone said some horrible words over us. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Yeah, okay. When those words are spoken over you and you carry them for a long time. You know, scars heal on the outside, but, but those scars that are on the inside, they, they stick around for, for a long, long time. But when we speak those words over other people, it's almost immediate. We wish that we could just throw them back into our mouths. Like the minute that they come out and we realize that we've really hurt someone, we kind of want to put them back in our mouths. But that's impossible. We can't do that. Once it's out there, it's there. We've spoken those unkind words. The damage is done. We might say that it's not what I meant. What I meant to say was, but it doesn't matter. Because what you said was what you said. You might say, well, I was angry. I was really angry and I got emotional and it just kind of slipped out. And I'm sorry. But the damage has been done. All of that should remind us that, that in relationships, there might not be anything more important than learning to control our speech. 
relationships that are really close, friendships, romantic relationships, even relationships with people that are in a, in a wide and, and diverse church family like we have. Learning to control our speech, our words, and as James would refer to it is that we need to learn to tame our tongues. It's interesting that James opens up our passage where he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. He says, you shouldn't be too eager to want to be teaching. And there's a simple reason for it. He says, you'll be judged with more strictness There'll be more judgment coming your way because Bible teachers, just like everyone else, will be judged by God, but equally you will be judged by those who hear your words. If you're going to be teaching, there'll be people that will not agree with what you're teaching. You will receive negativity and criticism at times. Are you able to to deal with that? The words of others that are spoken over you, they will judge you. But James doesn't say it to discourage people from, from that calling to teaching, because clearly there are those of us that, that follow that call. But he wants everyone to understand and take that role seriously that it's a huge responsibility. Our words have power. Our words matter. And if you oversee teaching others, if you're guiding them in the, in the Word of God, you're in that place of leadership, you have that capacity to shape lives. And the words of your mouth can draw people to Jesus or turn them off. I'm sure that we all had a favorite teacher throughout our schooling, whether it was at primary school or at high school, a favorite teacher, someone who who you just connected with, who you felt had your best interests at heart, someone who who was genuinely passionate about their subject, and you just gravitated to that. probably also remember maybe a teacher or teachers that we didn't really connect with. You might remember the story that I told a few weeks ago, that when I was seven years old, being told I was an underachiever by a teacher. She wasn't my favorite teacher. But her words mattered. You know, she'd spoken those over me at seven years old. I carried that around into my 20s. I carried that into my 20s. You're an underachiever. You'll achieve nothing. It wasn't true. I don't think she she necessarily meant to, to scar me for that amount of time. She probably thought that she was doing the right thing, that she'd be encouraging me, that I would, I'd maybe just, you know, buck up my ideas and, and get back to the top of the class because second wasn't good enough. But it went the other way. 
it hurt. Our words matter because they can build people up or they can tear them down. James is reminding the readers of his letter that if you're planning to teach, then you must be spiritually qualified, that teachers must practice what they preach, and teachers must be careful about their words. But it's interesting, he continues to speak about teachers, but then he opens it up and he widens the audience. He says, we. James includes himself in that. He recognizes that that he is not perfect either, that I'm not telling you something that I don't struggle with. And that's the truth. We all make mistakes with our words, intentionally or not. But James is saying that we can show our maturity and how we are able to control our tongue. It says here that if we're able to discipline our tongue, then we have control over our entire body. That if we tame the tongue, we'll be able to keep other areas of our life in check as well. And no doubt about it, the tongue does have the potential to be our biggest problem. What we say and often what we don't say at times will show people what we actually think or what we're passionate about. So it's not always just about not saying things. It's about speaking up when we see something happen, whether it's an injustice or otherwise. Saying the right words at the right time. But also that controlling our desire to to not say the thing that we might want to. A few examples of an untamed tongue would be when, when we gossip or when, when we're critical of people, where we don't give them their, their due, where we're not building them up, we're tearing them down. Or it might be that we start to brag about how great we are, you know, how wonderful I am at something. If we're lying, we start to flatter certain people. You might remember when James says earlier about not having favorites, that we might start to flatter those people that, that we think are our favorites and we talk down to the people that we, we don't necessarily consider to be our favorites. Or spreading rumors where we maybe hear something. You know that Chinese whispers where we hear something, we pass it on to someone else and by the time it gets to the end of the street, it's grown arms and legs. And James gives three illustrations of how something as small as the tongue can cause so much damage. In verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. This horse, by nature, a, a wild animal, unmanageable. But to tame the horse, James tells us that all you need to do is put a small bit into its mouth, over its tongue, and you can guide it. The rider pulls on the reins, they're able to control this massive animal. Horses often, there are small ones, but are often bigger than human beings and certainly enough to do 
serious physical damage to people that that little six-inch bit can control the horse. And in verse 4, James uses the example of a ship. James would never have been able to imagine the sheer size of the ships that we have available to us today. They're unbelievable how big some of these ships are. But they still operate under the same idea, able to, under this direction of a rudder. And by comparison to the size of the ship, the rudder is quite small. And then in verse 5, he summarizes these two illustrations. Like that rudder or the, the bit that's in the mouth, the tongue is small compared to the body. Second, like the rudder, like that bit in the mouth of the horse, the tongue is incredibly powerful. It can do a lot. But like that bit or the rudder on the ship, the tongue can accomplish great things or it can cause great harm. In verse 5, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. He reminds us that when the tongue is misused, it's very similar to how a fire can be spread with just a spark. You might remember a few summers ago, we saw the worst fires in Californian state history. Elizabeth and I have got friends over there. And it all started with a small spark, and it just raged right through the state. Just like a spark, our, our few words can cause immense heartache and pain. A few words can ruin a reputation. A few words can wreck a friendship. With just a few words, you can embarrass someone. With a few words, you can humiliate them. With one statement, you can destroy someone's life. James actually says that no one can tame the tongue. That it's always ready to pour out a deadly poison. In James verse 7, here he mentions four different classes of, of animals. He says there are those who walk, those that can fly, those that crawl, and those that swim. Animals that, that walk like an elephant can be tamed. Snakes can be charmed. Fortunately, due to the rise of places like SeaWorld, we can see that, that animals like whales and dolphins, they can be tamed. All of that. Yet we struggle to tame our own tongue says that the tongue is, is a restless evil just waiting to, and ready to cause problems. And then James wraps up and says it has this great potential to encourage. But it depends on how we use it. I love these words from King David in Psalm 141. It says, 
A man who's referred to as a man after God's own heart, where he says, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. What a prayer. Lord, would you please set a guard over my mouth? Keep a watch over it. Don't let anything come out that shouldn't. But no matter how devoted David was to God, he understood. He understood that he needed help in that area too. When life gets tough, where we maybe feel angry or we maybe feel hurt, we look to try and repay that with a word of our own. The tongue gets in the way. James says in verses 9 and 10, that with our tongue we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. James is reminding us that it should really bother us that with that within our personal time with God, we are, we are praising Him. When we come here this morning to worship Him, we say these wonderful things in prayer to God. Or if we reflect on the words of the hymns that are in our hearts. But in less than an hour after leaving here, we might start to, to curse the the driver who's just cut in front of us on the M8 or into the car parking space at Lidl when we're looking to, to go and do our shopping. In a very short time, we can go from, from praising God to, to cursing someone else out. In verses 11 and 12, he says, there's a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and brackish water, can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only one that would be shocked and find it a little strange that if we have an apple tree in our garden, if it started to suddenly produce bananas next year, or if we turned on the tap in the kitchen, and salt water started coming out of it. James offers these ideas, these thoughts, but doesn't bother to tie it up with a conclusion. just ends it there. Which seems strange because he, he does tend to like to have the conclusion. But I guess the reason the conclusion isn't there is because it's quite simple to us. We understand that it's all about consistency. In the area of the world that James is writing, near the Dead Sea, that sea is filled with salt water. A little north of there, you'll find the fresh water. He's saying one spring can only produce one type of water. A tree produces one kind of fruit. We don't go to an apple tree to, to get a banana. He says that nature is consistent. God is consistent. 
And unfortunately, our tongues aren't always consistent. It's certainly interesting that James uses fire and water as examples because both of those things can be destructive, but they can also be incredibly helpful. You know, those fires that were across in California. And it's important that we remember people who, who are affected by these unreal natural disasters. Whether it's the fires in, in California or whether it's the tsunamis that we see. But if fire and water can be controlled, then they can produce great life and power and heat. It's important that we seek to have a greater control over our tongues as we realize just how powerful they are. But how a wonderful blessing they can be as we build others up and we call out the gold in them. Like I was saying earlier, when we see someone doing something that, that, that we think is awesome, we tell them, You're, we are absolutely brilliant at that. Not to flatter them, but to let them know that, that they are great at something. Because people can go through their lives never understanding that they are awesome at things. Because the only things that they've heard are negative things. Things that they're not good at. In the eyes of someone else. It's important that we have this great control over our tongues. But what does it look like and how do we do it? There's several, several ways in which we can work on taming our tongues. And believe me, this is just as difficult for me as it is for anyone else. Just as James has highlighted at the beginning of the chapter, everyone struggles with this. Granted, some are better than others, but we all find it tough at times. And here's a few guidelines as I was reading through one of the, the commentaries. Here's a few guidelines that we can move forward. That we endeavor to never say anything about someone that you would never say to their face. That was always one that my gran used to always tell me. Never say anything about anyone unless you have the courage to say it to their face. Never say anything hurtful about someone unless they are there to respond. Well, here's probably the most important thing that we can do. Refuse to listen to and to participate in someone else's gossip. I'm sure that most gossip would end if no one would listen to it. Remember someone saying to me, I've got an acronym and it's something that you should use before you open your mouth. And the acronym is THINK. Okay? THINK. T stands for, is what I'm about to say, so the thing that's about to come out of my mouth, is it true? 
Is what I'm about to say true? H stands for, is it helpful? Am I just throwing something in there because I want to be part of the conversation? Or is it actually going to help that conversation in a positive way? I stands for, is it inspiring? Is what I'm about to say inspiring? Is it going to make the situation or someone better? Or is it going to make them worse? Am I looking to tear them down or am I looking to inspire them to greatness? N stands for, is it necessary? I think there's so many times where, again, we just want to be part of the conversation, so we just throw in stuff. Is what I'm about to say necessary? Or am I just loading in? And K, probably the most important, is what I'm about to say kind? Is what I'm about to say kind? I remember when I was younger and going to see the doctor and the first thing they did was they threw a, a little lollipop stick thing on my tongue and started to look at my tongue because apparently through the tongue you can tell a lot about someone's physical I don't know physical state I don't know their condition but the tongue clearly tells us a lot about our spiritual condition as well James's letter reminds us he tells us that what someone is like on the the inside is usually reflected in what is coming out. You know, Jesus says in Matthew's gospel that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Very difficult. We can hold things in for so long, but ultimately we'll exhibit the things that we're thinking, the things that are in our hearts. The thing is, we might not ever be able to stop others saying hurtful things to us and to other people. We cannot look to tame their tongues. However, this morning we can make a commitment to tame our own. If we follow that acronym that we, what we say is true, what we say is helpful, that it's inspiring, necessary, and kind. So let's fill our hearts with the love of God and ensure that the only thing that comes out of our mouths is kindness and words that will build others up. That we keep ourselves in check. That we tame our tongues. Let's pray. Father, we are sorry. We are sorry when we, we fail to think before we speak. When our words have hurt others. We seek your forgiveness and seek theirs. We thank you for our Lord Jesus that, that we're able to receive that forgiveness. that challenge and reminder 
that the words that come out of our mouth tell the world what is in our hearts. You know that we all struggle, that we all struggle with this stuff. We pray that by your Spirit, we would have greater control over our tongues. That we would realize and recognize that our words matter. That for such a small part of the body, it has that power to do great things. And may you use us to build one another up. All this we ask in your precious name. Amen.